Welcome back to Half Torah, the Sheer series which explores the connections between the Parsha Shavua and its corresponding Half Torah. Thus, Half Torah, Half Navi. And here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Toldos. And with Toldos, we return to a lyrical Half Torah. That is to say that the Navi portion that we read from this week is not a narrative as we had for the past two weeks, but more like what we had for the first three parashios of the Torah, Barashas through Lachlacha, we have a Nevuah, a prophecy, which only contains speech, and of course it'll have themes which will connect back to our parsha in a very obvious way. The parsha of this week, which is Toldos, focuses mainly on the Toldos of Yitzchak, the children of Yitzchak, who of course are Yaakov and Esav, and their rivalry, which begins in our parsha, and we find two main stories about Yaakov and Esav in the parsha, with their births, the cell of the Bechorah, the, the firstborn rites, and of course that goes into what we find at the end, the story of the Brachos, which are seized by Yaakov Avinu. So that is our Parsha, and the question is, where in the Haftarah can they be found? Well, the Haftarah is taken from Malachi. This is the first of the Parshios HaShavua that is complemented with a Haftarah from the Treyasar. If you want to go by the calendar year, so obviously we had the Treyasar for... Mincha um, of Yom Kippur, which was um, say for Yonah, so the Treyasa were featured there, as Yonah is one of the Treyasa. We also had the Treyasa for Shabbos Shuvah, um, which, and in fact we had three of them during Shabbos Shuvah, so perhaps um, at the end of the year, or I should say the beginning of next year, Bez Rosh Hashem, when we get back to that part of the year, we can talk more about that. But right now, the very first in the order of the Parshas HaShavuah, we have Malachi, who happens to be the last of the Treyasa, at least um, the, the, and if you look in the order of the Treyasar, he's the last one there. I believe that, according to our Masorah, he's the last Navi. And if that's the case, Malachi has probably some important things to say. And so the Haftar is taken from Parak Aleph, and it, go, um, and it goes to Parak Beis. So it's Parak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, and it goes all the way till Parak Beis, Pasuk Zion. And since Parshas Toldos, once again, focuses on Yaakov and Esav, a Yaakov Avinu on the one hand, Esav Arasha on the other, the diametrically opposed brothers, it does seem appropriate that the prophecy of Malachi, which very explicitly depicts Hashem's love for Yaakov and his hatred for Esav, it does seem appropriate that that would be chosen as the Haftarah selection for Toldos. Definitely couldn't go wrong with that, especially since their names are written in there explicitly, so the connection is immediate, the connection is fair, and it is definitely obvious. Now, of course, we try to look deeper, as always we mentioned, to go deeper than just the shout-outs to some of the main characters in the Parsha to see what else is there. And perhaps another question that is worth our investigation is how the prophecy of Malachi tells us about the rivalry of Yaakov versus Esav. What does it tell us, and how should that rivalry impact us at least in the days of Malachi, when Malachi was addressing the Bnei Israel, and of course, most importantly for us, how that should affect us today. So, why is Malachi referencing the sibling rivalry in the first place? And what does he want us to learn from it? Right, Because as we've mentioned in the past, whenever we have a parashat shavua, so you're going to be hard-pressed to find a haftarah that will literally repeat every single point from the parsha. Um, otherwise it would just be the parsha. The Haftarah is going to hone in on one point, and the question is, just like 
a Rav who's giving a drasha and shul is going to pick one point from the Parsha to speak about, the Haftarah is going to hone in on that one point. And the question is, what does the Haftarah want us to see about this week's Parsha, which the Parsha has told us? So if Malachi is bringing up Yaakov and Esau, we have to try to figure out why that is. So if we give the text a look, it will become apparent that the content of this prophecy, more than just a shout-out to the contrast between Yaakov and Esav, is actually a demonstration of this spiritual significance of that rivalry and its implications for the nation that claims to be the seed of Yaakov. So what exactly do I mean? So let's take a look inside the Navi just for a second. So you see from the very first Pasuk, the Navi refers to the prophecy as a masa, mem sin aleph, literally a burden. And that is because the contents of the prophecy are emotionally difficult. They are a burden for Malachi to convey. Whenever the Navi introduces a prophecy as a masa, it means some kind of bad news for its recipient. And here the Navi specifies masa devar Hashem el Yisrael. It is apparently a burden, this word of Hashem to the Bnei Yisrael. So we have to wonder then, what did Yisrael do wrong? I, I thought at the end of the parsha, Yaakov was the winner. Yaakov got the brachos, he was chosen, he got the bechorah, he got the bracha. And we know things don't really get easier for Yaakov. At the very least, that story is what, what sets apart Yaakov from Esav and makes Yaakov the chosen one. So what happened by the time we get all the way to the times of Malachi? So the prophecy begins with the following conversation. And this is in Sukkim Beis and Gimel. Says Ahavti Aschem Amar Hashem, I loved you. Says Hashem, Vimartem. But you said, Bama Ahavtanu. With what have you loved us? And so Hashem repeats, Halo Achesav Liyakov Neum Hashem. But doesn't and Hashem responds, You say one second. You say, How have you loved us? Well, says Hashem, one second. Weren't there two brothers, Esav and Yaakov? The Ahaves Yaakov, and I loved Yaakov. The Esav son Esi. And Esav, I hated. So yeah, so again, let's 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 re, let's rephrase what just happened. Hashem says, Israel, you've gone wrong, and you've said, "How have I loved you?" And of course, I loved you. And the proof in the pudding apparently is that well, take a look. There were two brothers. There was Yaakov and Esav, and I loved Yaakov and I hated Esav. So how can you say, "How did I love you?" That seems to be the conversation that the Navi is is, is depicting here. So we have to try to understand what exactly is going on here. It seems that once again Hashem is upset as Israel challenged the fact that he truly loved them. To which Hashem basically responds, I don't get you people. There were two brothers, Yaakov and Esav, and I clearly loved Yaakov and hated Esav. So at first glance, Hashem's response, if we think about it just for two seconds, it is really strange. Because... Hashem could have certainly gone into an elaborate description of all of the good that he has done for the Bnei Israel to demonstrate his love for them. A response which would have directly answered the Bnei Israel's challenge with what have you loved us? You redeemed us. You rescued us from the nations that attacked us, whether it was Mitzrayim or other nations. You took us out of Gullus. You brought us to your holy land. You gave us the man. You go through the whole list of Dayenu. And that should have sufficed, no pun intended. But that's not what Hashem does. Instead, Hashem proceeds to contrast Yaakov from Esav, a very interesting, an interesting choice of methodology. And the question is, how does that really prove anything? How is that even a response to Israel's challenge? 
But this is not to argue against the point that Hashem makes that there were indeed two brothers, Yaakov and Esav, one whom Hashem loved and one whom Hashem apparently hated. That can all be true. But God doesn't need to teach them a, a you know a chumash lesson. Right? From the challenge of the people, it would seem that Hashem has to respond with some evidence that he did in fact love them. I guess if he's going to give them a chumash lesson, it should be from Sefer Shemos and Sefer Bamidbar, maybe Sefer Devarim. But he shouldn't be teaching them about their, you know, their ancestor Yaakov and Esav. Like, well, what in the world does that have to do with anything? And the fact that, that there was an Esav, by the way, also, the fact that there was an Esav that he hated, he, you know, he could say, I always do love Yaakov. And again, he can demonstrate his love for Yaakov. Why, did, why is the hatred for Esav even relevant to this conversation? Because you, you, you could hate two people. If the contention of the Bnei Israel is, you hated us, why is saying that I hated Esav going to, well, why is that going to take away from that? Hashem could theoretically hate both Yaakov and Esav, chas v'shalom. But why then does, why, why is Hashem's hatred of Esav relevant? And I, I hope you're following the question, because just because you love one thing, or just because you, you, you hate one thing, doesn't mean you love something else. So where's Hashem going with this? So from the challenge of the people, it would seem that, again, Hashem has to respond with some kind of demonstration that he really loved them. So why doesn't he do that? And again, why does he instead digress to bring up Yaakov and Esav? So to answer that question, we have to understand what it means that God loved Yaakov and hated Esav. And in doing so, we should try to start off with why God loved Yaakov and hated Esav. Right? Did God just one day decide to pick favorites and hate on Esav? Which might happen in some real-life human families. You know, that, like, in our, in our times, when I say real life, it's not to suggest the Yaakov and Esav were in real, but something that's more down-to-earth, what we can relate to. So is that what Hashem did? And you just, is one of his sons just appeal to him more? Right, even if someone as holy as, ya- as Yitzchak, for example, might have possibly been fooled into expressing love based on mundane factors, right, that he loved um, Esav because he was Tzayed B'Fiv, that he would feed him, as Rashi tells us, or that he would trick him, God is the all-seeing parent who is able to take all of the actions of his children into account. And that means that if Hashem is able to express hatred for Esav, it has to be for a really good reason. Right? His hate for Esav could not be like the human burst of emotion that stems from something petty, whether it's vengeance, anger, or personal discomfort with the external features about Esav. I don't like him because he's hairy. Uh, I don't like him because... He, because because he has a bow and arrow, right? That that can't be enough. It can only be the result of fundamental lifestyle choices made by Asaph, intentional lifestyle choices made by Asaph, and his descendants, which would fly directly in the face of Ratzon Hashem. That's the only way Hashem can express hate for someone. The hate would have to go to the core of Asaph's essence, the person that Asaph chose to be and become. So, again. If God's hate could only be directed towards someone who wittingly spurns the divine and idolizes the material world, well, that would make sense. And that was what Esav, in fact, did in our Parsha when he exchanged his spiritual birthright for lentil soup. The Pasuk tells us explicitly, Vaivez Esav Esabachora, and Esav spurned the birthright in Perak Chafei, Pasuk Lamed Dalet. Right? That was a choice that Esav made. And, the, and it wasn't just a trade, but it was a bizayon, right? The Vayivas. 
he, he was mevaza, something that was holy. And how so? By trading it for something that was material. And why was Yaakov Avinu received differently by Hashem? We might suggest that Yaakov was exceedingly righteous. Perhaps he demonstrated spiritual greatness. Maybe. But interestingly enough, that's not what the Torah says about him. All the Torah says about Yaakov when we meet him is that he was an Ishtam, a simple and innocent man. Right? He was just a decent man, wholesome. And perhaps that's all it takes to earn expressions of God's love. Just being a simple guy. Just be a basic, decent, good guy. Now, considering all of the above, imagine if Yaakov's seed were to make the same choice as Chas Shalom, as an Esav. So imagine if Yaakov's seed might fail to be Hashem's beacon of human decency to the world. How might they differ from the man whom God hated? If Yaakov's children would make the same decisions as an Esav, so they probably wouldn't differ so much at all from the man that God hated. And that is precisely what God is responding to the Bnei Israel's challenge. Hashem says to the Bnei Israel, I love you. And the people say, oh yeah, prove it. And as we mentioned earlier, God could have easily defended this stance by showing them how their very existence reflects his love for them, the fact that they're still alive for all these generations. But instead, Hashem went with a different route. He took a different route, and he went to the core of why they were really upset. They were upset at that moment because at that moment they didn't feel Hashem's love. To which Hashem responds, And tell me, why don't you feel loved? That's what you're saying, I don't love you. So why don't you feel loved? There were two brothers once upon a time, one named Yaakov, one named Esav. I loved one, I hated the other. And right now, which one are you? Identify yourself. Because Ben Israel, they descend from Yaakov, and I loved Yaakov. So tell me, Ben Israel, where have we gone wrong? By invoking the names of Yaakov and Esav, Hashem was not just flashing back to ancient history. He was invoking spiritual representations of the choices that we make every single day and telling us just how that would be represented in a court of divine judgment. Hashem told them he loved them in the past tense, and indeed he did honestly love them in the past, when they manifested Yaakov-like qualities, when they walked with Hashem with Timimus, when they displayed decency. But as the Navi goes on to tell us, take a look at Malachi, Paragalaf Pasigvav, Hakohanim Bozeshimi, Vamartem Bamebazinu Eshemecha. The priests spurned my name, and you say, With what have we spurned your name? Indeed, the priests spurned spirituality like only an Asaph could. And if one would continue reading the Haftarah through, one will notice that the concept of spurning, the bizayon of spirituality, is a theme in this text, taken for the very for the, for taken from our very from our parsha, the first time that we find the lashon of Vayivaz, that lashon appears in our Haftarah, showing that the Bnei Israel were starting to act like Asaph. And how did they spurn God's name exactly? The Navi goes on to describe the nature of the offerings that they brought before God, some from lame animals and blind animals, or even stolen animals. Why? Because it was financially easier that way. Now, 
Is this supposed to be a real tribute to God? It looks more like spirituality receiving the short end of the stick. In this vein, the Navi challenges them with a, with a principle that's become a halachic principle. If you look in Pasuk you think that if you offer it to your governor, bring this to your president, you know, in times where we used to respect um, the president, maybe in times where the president used to deserve respect, uh, but offer it to, offer it to, your, to, to your, your official. Offer it to some important person. You think he's going to want it? Carbonos from stolen animals. It's funny that we find that. Chazal tells us that that's in fact what Esav would do. Esav, if he needed to steal an animal to bring it to Yitzhak, he was planning to do that, Rashi tells us on our Parsha. Mind you, these were the Kohanim who were supposed to be the source of inspiration to the Bnei Israel, the Kohanim who represent the beacon of light. We're supposed to be a Mamlechas Kohanim. The spiritual responsibilities of the Kohanim were originally the designated rights of the Bukhor, rights which Esav himself rejected and spurned. And now, the new bearers of those rights and responsibilities have also spurned them, the Kohanim in the times of Malachi. And if that's the case, what was the whole point of the contrast between Yaakov and Esav? If the Bnei Israel and even their Kohanim are doing the same things that Esav did. In the same vein, the Bnei Israel, Yaakov's children themselves, are supposed to be the source of inspiration to all of the Esavs in the world to be the Or Lagoyim, and as I mentioned, the Mamlechus Kohanim. Israel as a nation is supposed to tap into Yaakov's wholesomeness and be that source of light to all of the brothers of the world. And when they don't do that, instead borrow from Esav's own craft, then again, what was the whole point of the contrast between Yaakov and Esav. What can they expect from the God of true judgment who chose Yaakov on account of his innocence and decency? In the end, the Haftar's message is quite telling in terms of how we're supposed to relate to the marked difference between Yaakov and Esav, what that difference should mean to us. Being a Ben Yisrael is not just a lucky, privileged status, and it's not just a matter of biology. It's a great responsibility. It takes living up this responsibility to truly unlock the privileges that come with it, the expressions of Hashem's love for us, that Hashem should love us and not hate us like he did to Esau. And what that tells us is that being a Yaakov or a Ben Yisrael in certain ways is a choice, only insofar as no one can physically force us to live up to the standards of a Ben Yisrael. A Gentile may choose to convert and take on the status and responsibilities of a Ben Yisrael, and even though a Jew cannot halachically remove his status as a Ben Yisrael, or you, you, can't, you can't convert to being a Gentile, at least not to the extent that you could actually remove your Jewishness, at the end of the day, it is still only by man's free choice that he will ultimately fulfill his practical responsibilities. And in that vein, we choose every single day to live or not live like a Yaakov as a Ben Yisrael. But whatever choice we do make, there are inescapable consequences because those choices are reflective of the way we want to identify spiritually when we stand before Hashem. And those choices will be reflected by either Hashem's love for us or Chas Shalom, His hatred. Hashem has set the standard very simply. He loves Yaakov and hates Esav. And we have to choose. Which one will we be? Who are we at this moment? So we should be zochah to live up to the standards of the spiritual wholesomeness set by Yaakov, be true and unlock Hashem's eternal love for us in the fullest form. And if you enjoy, 
this year and others liked on the podcast and want to partner up with us here at the database with a sponsorship or if you have questions comments concerns or recommendations or you want to join the database podcast whatsapp group for frequent updates and links for every uploaded share then all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com that's the data than base b-e-i-s at gmail.com and until next time have an absolutely wonderful shabbos and thank you for joining us here at the database